All right, so I had to, it's been a couple of weeks, and I had, to, I had to go back. I couldn't quite remember where we left off last time, but we were, we were uh, at about <clears throat> verse 16 of chapter 5, I believe, somewhere around in there. So just by way of, of recap then, um, uh, we had just been introduced to uh, James and John, the sons of Zebedee. Um, they, were, they were Peter's partners in the fishing business. Um, uh, uh, then, then Luke describes Jesus healing a man with leprosy. Uh, uh, the man approached Jesus, said that if he willed to do so, he could make the man clean. Jesus told him uh, in verse 13, I will be clean. And immediately the man was cleansed from leprosy. Even so, he told the man to fulfill the requirement of the law by going and making a sacrifice, uh, an offering for his cleansing. And, and as a result of this and many other of the signs or miracles that Jesus performed, he's growing in popularity. He's rec being recognized as a, as a great teacher of, of the word, a teacher of, of Israel. Um, and so people are following him all over the place. And so verse 16 says that he would withdraw to desolate places just to pray, to be alone. Um, and I think there's a lesson there just to, in terms of application, how we apply that to our own walk, that we, we need times to withdraw. In, in a sense, the Lord's Day, um, uh, for those of you who prefer it, the Sabbath, um, uh, Sundays, that, that, is a, that is a day for, for hopefully most of us, and recognizing that's not always, uh, always the case for everyone, but it's, it's a day that the Lord has provided for us to to, to, to take a, a step back from our work, from our, from our daily grind and rest. Rest in Him. Uh, be with the Lord in prayer. Um, hear Him speak to us through His Word, all of those things. And so um, it was, Jesus wasn't merely doing this as a pattern for us. Um, he wasn't merely doing this as to set an example for us, but certainly this is an example. If the Lord did this, and we might even say if the Lord needed to do this, then how much more so do we need to do this? How much more so is important for us? And, you know, we'll get into this a little bit later. Lord willing, is <clears throat> if, we, if we make it that far into chapter 6 where Jesus heals, he does things on the Sabbath that the Pharisees consider unlawful. Um, and we'll get into a little bit. What is, you know, what is the purpose of the Sabbath? Um, what it means for us? And if we, if we only regard the Sabbath as a burden... <laughs> Um, as, as, as a set of, of regulations that we have to fulfill, that I think we're missing the point of it because it's intended, it's intended to glorify God. It's a day on which we glorify God. We come to him and uh, worship him, but it's also a day for us to rest, to rest in him, to rest from our labors, to rest from our anxieties, all those things. And so, um, so Jesus would withdraw for the purpose of, of, of a, it's, it's kind of a retreat in the, in the classic sense of the word. He would he would go off somewhere to, to in a sense, rejuvenate, um, uh, and it, it was necessary for him to do so. So in verse, verses um, 17 to 26, um, we, we begin, I'm sorry, verses, verse 17, really through chapter 6, verse 11, um, we have here a series of conflicts that, that Jesus enters into primarily with the Pharisees. And so Luke uh, these are not necessarily consecutive. They're not necessarily happening uh, just one right after another after another. But Luke is, is, is grouping these together um, to show, in a sense, in the words of, of one commentator, Dale Ralph Davis, um, uh, he's, he's grouping these together to, to show how the religious elite of the day viewed Jesus. And so we're getting a glimpse of Jesus, um, not exactly from Luke's perspective, but he's, he's narrating for us the perspective of the Pharisees and how they regarded 
this person who they regarded as a, as a man, at best as a, as a teacher, and of course at worst, we're, we're going to get to what they, how they viewed him at worst, uh, at, at the worst, but, but that's, so we're starting this series of conflicts, which, which runs from, uh, from Luke 5, verse 17 through uh, uh, Luke 6, verse 11. And so in verses 70 to 26, Jesus heals this paralytic man. Um, uh, and you remember, the, the story is remarkable, right? Anybody, who can, who can summarize the, 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 the way that this all went down with this paralyzed man? I, 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 welcome, we're not, I didn't read it. I think we read it you know, two weeks ago. Um, but who can summarize for us what the events of what happened? Yeah, Kathy, I could tell you had a look on your face like you were ready. So, yeah, summarize for us what happened. And, and I just read ahead. Yeah. It's fresh in my head. Um, and I you know, I'm just looking there, but there mm-hmm. was a big crowd. Yeah. Yeah, and, and and what does Jesus say? What what's the sort of the the reason he gives for why he's going to heal the man? Is it the faith of the paralyzed man? Yeah, no, it's okay. I mean, he, I mean, that's a very good point. But he says, uh, it says in verse twenty, and when he saw their faith, not not that that's not exclusive necessarily of the para, the paralyzed man's faith. It may include him, but it's speaking about the group as a whole. When he saw their faith, the links that they were willing to go to, why? What did they seem to know that not everybody else knew? In other words, what 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 was their confidence here? They knew, they seemed to know that Jesus could heal this man. I mean, you know, because that's that's potentially embarrassing, right? I mean, they cut through the roof somehow. It's not like a thatched roof or it's tiled roof, um, which it would indicate some sort of ceramic. I'm assuming, you know, I didn't look into the the the, the very nature of the tile. You know, assumedly it's a ceramic type of roof. They're having to get through that somehow, break through somehow, um, and they lower the man in, and they have a great deal of confidence, not in themselves, but in Jesus and in his ability to heal. Because if he, if he can't heal this man, that's humiliating on a, on a variety of levels for them, for Jesus. For, so they are, they're, very, they're very bold about this. Um, uh, they're... Um, yeah, I guess I'll just read a little bit. I didn't read it earlier. Uh, on, the, on one of those days, as he was teaching, Pharisees and the teachers of the law were sitting there. They come from every village uh, of Galilee and Judea. Here's what Kathy was referencing. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. I, I, think, I, I, I think that's a reference back to his anointing by the Holy Spirit. He's been endowed. We're thinking, okay, so remember, we're human nature. Like Jesus Christ is God and man hypostatic union, right? There's no, there's no intermixing, no intermingling of the natures, but they are, they are inseparable. These natures of Christ are inseparable. The, the, the divine nature of Christ doesn't need 
the anointing of the Holy Spirit in order, the, or the endowment of the Holy Spirit in order to carry out m- miracles or to perform these signs because he is, this, he is God in the flesh. But, but united to his divine nature is this human nature. And, and the, the endowment of the Holy Spirit is the, the anointing. It's, it's, it's poured out on, on the, the, the human nature of, 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 of Jesus. And so he's, he, has, uh, he has the power of the Lord to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in, because of the crowd, they went up on the roof, let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, man, and this, is, this had to have been mind-blowing. He said, man, your sins are forgiven. Now, is that, is that why they were coming to Jesus? I mean, at least ostensibly, is that, were, they, were they bringing him, bringing him to Jesus to forgive this man of his sins? No, I mean, they, they were just wanting the man healed. This was, I mean, talk about brotherhood and, and friend, true friendship. I mean, the man couldn't get himself there. Even if, he, even if he had some form of mobility, he couldn't have gotten through the crowds. Um, but Jesus says something that's very unexpected there. Man, your sins are forgiven. Um, why, do, why do the Pharisees and the scribes react negatively <laughs> to what Jesus says to the paralytic? Only God can forgive. Yeah, and they say that. They say that. It's, it's somewhat unwittingly ironic. <laughs> you know, it's like they're actually, in a sense, confessing. But they don't, they're not really because they're not consciously. But they're kind of saying only God has the power to forgive sins. And, and Jesus is kind of like, yeah, <laughs> you're right. Um, <laughs> um, so the, yeah, the Pharisees say in verse 21, so they, pre, they, they preface their confession with this. Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Making it clear that they, they don't believe. Only God, uh, they say. Um, let me, I lost my, uh, who can forsi- forgive sins but God alone? And so they, they are, um, in a sense, admitting. Now, they, they, they would never acknowledge it, but they're, they're you know, they're, but in a, in a sense, they're, 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 they're giving, they're giving unwitting testimony as to who Jesus is. I, I would be willing to bet there were people in that crowd who go, you know, you're right. You're right. And he just did it. Um, so uh, Dale Ralph Davis in his commentary, he, he, says, he says, note, Jesus did not say he announced or declared forgiveness in God's name or that he was merely assuring the paralytic of forgiveness. No, he himself forgives sins. Now, I mean, you'll notice that we don't, I never practice like, you know, um, the Catholic church, the priest gives absolution, right? Um, but when we have a, you know, when we, we have our confession of sin on each Lord's day, there, I don't ever say you're forgiven of your sin, you know, but you, but you do hear an assurance of pardon from God's word because only God can, only God can give that assurance. Um, and, and of course the, the assurance is in a sense conditioned on faith, but, but what Jesus says here is, you know, he, he, he sees the faith of these men um, and, you know, we, we, you know, you get, okay, what, how do, where do they get that faith? Well, you know, Luke's not, not, he's not going into answering those kinds of questions. We can get very systematic theological here and, you know, and make sure we maintain our reformed status. Well, of course, God gave them the gift of faith, but we don't, you know, we're not, <clears throat> we don't really have to go there. 
Jesus, they had faith, and their sins were forgiven. His sins were forgiven. Now, <clears throat> um, Jesus perceived the Pharisees' thoughts, and he asks them in verses 22 to 24, why do you question your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. Okay, what, what is, what's Jesus doing there? What, is, what does that mean? How do we understand what Jesus is saying there? What, how does it prove, and the man does, right? So he's, he, he's healed. How does his healing prove that the Son of Man has the authority to forgive sins? What's the, how do we understand that connection there? What, what's Jesus, yeah, uh, Bonnie. Only God can, yeah. There's some fulfillment, fulfillment of prophecy there. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's Old Testament prophecy, Isaiah. I probably can't remember the exact location. Some of you probably can't. The, the lame will walk. Um, that Jesus is capable of doing things that have never been done before. Why? Because he's God in the flesh. Um, and so, yeah, he, so, so only God can heal. And, and Jesus, by this miraculous sign, he's, he's demonstrating that. Any other any other thoughts or comments? Yeah, Josh. I've never been 100 percent sure that I understood the point about what's easier to say. Yeah. But my theory is, if I say your sins are forgiven, who can prove that that's yeah. true or not true? Right. Whereas if I say rise up and walk, yeah. and you can't, then I look yeah. foolish. Well, it's easier to tell. You're in good company um, among among an esteemed interpreter of God's word, who I will quote now. So thank you. Um, Dale Ralph Davis. I mean, he's, he is one of my favorites. I just, I love the man. I've never met him. I just, I, I think I, I, I'd never heard of him before, probably 10 or 12 years ago. And when I read him, I read, I started reading his commentaries. I don't remember what book we were going through. And I read him with a British accent, partly because the publishing house is in, based in England, but he just wrote like a Brit. And then I finally heard a recording of him preaching, and he is just a deep sat, like he's from Mississippi. And, and it just kind of blew my mind. I was like, wait a minute now. Um, but he, so here's, here's uh, in his commentary on this, he says, it's as if Jesus said, you can't see sins forgiven, but you can see that when I say something is to happen, it happens. So when I speak forgiveness, it really occurs, just as when I told this paralytic to get up and, no, and tote his stretcher home, he really did it. So that, there you go, Josh. Way to go. I mean, you're, 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 you know, you're right up there with the, the, <laughs> the higher uh, ranks of, of interpreters. But, um, but now, I, you know, it, it is, it's, it's, so he's, okay, you can see the man being healed. Only God can heal. Get back to what Bonnie said. If, if this man gets up and walks, which he does, then you can trust that I just forgave him of his sins. So it's a further sign. It's a sign that, that proves that Jesus is capable of forgiving uh, sins because he's God in the flesh. Um, Kathy. Yeah. Question. Mm -hmm. They would be watching from the side, You know, it, I would not, I'd be hesitant to speak completely generally about everybody in that day and the fair, but, but certainly some of them would have been, they should have, they should, they all should have been. I think certainly some of them would have been if they, you know, if they understood the, the prophecies that pertain to the coming Messiah and the things that he would do. Um, 
I, I believe some would, but I, I don't think you could say with uniformity every, everybody in Old Testament, or, or I'm sorry, in that era of, of, of Judea, uh, the Jewish people, that they would have expected that. I, you know, I don't know that there's any way you could actually prove it, but I would, yeah, I would think, surely, out of the millions of, of Jews who lived in the area, that some of them would have been looking for those specific kinds of signs. And I think perhaps because of that, you know, they recognized I mean, the, perhaps these men. I mean, we can only speculate, but, but I think it's, it's a safe form of speculation. Perhaps these men, because they're looking for, this, they're looking for one who would heal. And they, they hear these stories. Maybe they've witnessed him healing someone else, and they, you know, they've got this friend, and they bring him. Um, so I think probably, probably so. But I, I can't say with any great certainty. Yeah. Any other questions or comments? And thoughts. Um, okay, so next controversy, the next uh, conflict. In the next several verses, Jesus meets Levi, Matthew, and he tells Levi to follow him. In verse 28, we read, uh, and leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And uh, Levi, uh, in verse 29, it says, Levi made him a great feast in his house, <clears throat> and there was a large <clears throat> Excuse me, a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Okay, what <clears throat> is the significance? of Jesus going to Levi's home. He's a tax collector. I mean, we all know the stories about tax collectors and how they were hated in Israel because um, they were Jews, but they worked for Rome. They worked for the empire. They worked for the occupiers. I mean, so just think about that for a moment. I mean, I, okay, I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm not trying to stir the pot, but a, a modern-day example would be a Palestinian <clears throat> in Gaza who's working for the Israelis, Right? I mean, imagine that, or, or vice versa, however you want to look at it. But, but in this sense, that you know, and whether or not Israel is properly occupying Gaza in the way that they're being said to, but you get the, you get the gist of it. They, they would have hated this guy because he's a traitor. Um, he, he's, he's not loyal to Israel. He's not loyal to his Jewish brethren. He's loyal to Caesar. Um, so what is the significance of Jesus going to Levi's home and eating a meal with this man? What do you think? <clears throat> Nobody's jumping. Okay, Josh, thank you. <laughs> um, and this kind of makes sense because from the Old Testament, there was a strong culture of kind of keeping yourself pure mm -hmm. if you were an observant Jew. Mm -hmm. And so you avoid things that would make ceremonial un ceremonially unclean. And then you also, I think, you shun <clears throat> people who are living in unrepentant sin. Mm -hmm. And so <clears throat> Pharisees certainly wouldn't go have dinner with Matthew or Levi or whatever. Mm -hmm. They wouldn't do that, I assume. And so the fact that so Jesus, they would see Jesus as polluting himself by hanging out with bad people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and polluting himself, setting up, making a bad example, which might encourage others to associate with, with sinners, with with, uh, with the unclean. 
Yeah, I think that's a, I think that's that is important. Uh, table fellowship. It, I mean, it, it was a a, a big deal um, among Jewish people. Still is. I mean, if observant Jews today, they they're very conscientious about whom with whom they fellowship at table. Um, um, and, and you get into this even a little bit, you know, in, in the New Testament where, um, you know, Paul has to, he has to come down pretty hard on Peter for his refusal. Um, and there's, there's a whole lot going on. You know, we went through Galatians many years ago. And I'm not, we don't need to rehash that this morning. But there's a whole lot going on than merely ju- just the aspect of table, table fellowship there with Peter and Paul and the confrontation, Paul's rebuke of Peter. <clears throat> but... A significant portion of it was the fact that, that Peter was refusing to eat with his, his Christian brothers, um, which was a denial, uh, in a sense, of their, of their status as believers. Um, and Jesus here, he goes, now not everybody in this house, and it sounds like it was a great feast, it's described <clears throat> as, as a great feast there um, in, uh, in verse, tw- uh, let's see, verse 29. Um, there's a large company of tax collectors and others reclining. So, so Levi, Jesus has called Levi Matthew to be a disciple, but not all these other people. And so Jesus is in this home, and uh, the Pharisees become indignant uh, over it, um, and they they start they do their thing. They grumble um, at his disciples. They say to them, "Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners?" One, um, this is Daryl Bach in his commentary on Luke. He says, in, in, in this context, this, this, these verses, he says, Jesus aggressively formed relationships that would help lay the basis of an acceptance from which the challenge about lifestyle could be made. Well, that's a, that's a, it's not a word salad, but it's also kind of technical. It's a little bit jargony. He aggressively formed relationships. Like he's, he's going after people. Like he, go, he goes and finds Levi. Um, He went out. He saw a tax collector. He said, follow me. Levi invites him to his home. He's got all these other sinners, these people that the the Jewish, that Jesus' people hate and regard as as lowlifes and people that they do not want to associate with. And there he is in the middle of them and is having a meal with them, which for Jewish people was massive. I mean, it's just, that's a major, major social uh, 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 breaking with with not even social norms. I mean, it's, they, they would... Regard that as a violation. The Pharisees, they would draw, they would, they would, they would, there was the law, and then they would make a fence around the wall, the law. Um, so they would add to the law. Um, that's what Pharisees do. And so in order to prevent them from coming close to breaking the law, they would add all these rules, you know, concentric rings around the law to prevent them from violating it. And then they, and then they hold Jesus and others to this standard that they have created. Um, so Jesus, he aggressively forms relationships. These would lay the basis of an acceptance from which the challenge about lifestyle could be made. The basis of an acceptance. What does that mean? Well, that, that the, the, this challenge that Bach is referring to is coming from the Pharisees, the challenge of his lifestyle. He's hanging out with these people. So, so it's, there's a, there's a, the Pharisees are accusing Jesus of basically accepting the sinners and their sin. Um, and, and, you know, whether true or not, that's kind of what the, the Pharisees are trying to say, that, that Jesus is just, he's just, you know, without 
thinking about it. He's just accepting. He's associating with them. That means he's accepting everything that they do, whether it's right or wrong. Um, uh, and that's, I would say, that's not, that, that's not true. Simply because you associate with other people and even share a meal with other people, it doesn't mean that you totally accept everything that they do, like their lifestyle, their behavior, their choices. It doesn't mean that you accept it or approve of those things. Um, and, and I think it's an encouragement to us to, to, I mean, our tendency is to cut off and isolate because we see, we see the, we see the threats to our faith as coming from outside of ourselves, the world and the devil. And we forget about the flesh, meaning our own flesh as being a source of temptation and, and a, you know, a source of challenge for us as Christians. And so our, our tendency then is therefore we've got to isolate, we've got to separate, we, gotta, we can't associate with these people, and, and we don't want to be seen associating with these people. And um, that, I don't, I don't know how you live in the world doing that. And the sad reality is even if you were to find a desert island where it's just you and your closest friends or family, you're still, even as by yourself, you're still dealing with a sinner. And you probably can find more ways to get yourself in trouble if you're all isolated and alone than if you were in a community of believers and in a, surrounded by a, a just, you know, a community of other people. Um, so, all right. The meal that Levi made for Jesus, the fellow tax collectors, as well as the other, other people, it's described as, by Luke as a great feast. The Pharisees, of course, grumble, and they ask Peter, James, and John, uh, and, and pro probably Jesus, uh, about eating and drinking with tax collectors and sinners. Jesus replies, saying, basically, that he goes where the sinners are. Right? I mean, he, he doesn't say it exactly. He says, um, he says, those who are well have no need of, of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous. And I think, you know, we probably put air quotes around that. I'm not called to co come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Um, Jesus goes where the sinners are. Um, Jesus knows that he is not going to be made unclean by being around these people who, who are probably among the lowest of the low of that society, among Jewish people. I mean, I, I would say the contempt for tax collectors is probably greater than for any other people. I maybe mean, you know probably you could come up with some examples that are worse, but they they are they are the, I mean they are the betrayers of, of Israel because they're siding and working for, Caesar and not only that but they they take a little bit off the top right that's the, that was always the, the, the tax collector would always skim a little bit from the what was being given the tribute that was being given that would go back to Rome they always skim a little bit off the top to keep it for themselves. And so they, they were just hated. Um, but Jesus goes to be with them. And so the righteous have no need to be called to repentance. Jesus is speaking somewhat tongue-in-cheek. The so-called righteous want nothing to do with someone who reminds them of their unrighteousness. Um, and that's, that's just it. I mean, so it's, you know, I think Jesus is being a, not facetious there, but he's not calling them truly righteous. He knows they're not, but they don't want to associate with him because he reminds them of the fact that they're not righteous. Um, and, and it's uncomfortable. Any, uh, any thoughts about, any comments, questions about uh, this, this conflict? Yeah, Julie. It's clear that he's not, he's not 
Yeah. 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 But yeah, that's a very, I'm glad you said that. Yeah, and that's the thing now. It's, you know, there is a, you know, a lot of pointing to this passage in particular and saying, yeah, you, just ha- you just have to accept people as they are. And, and Jesus, I mean, no, he, he called sinners sinners. He called sin, sin. He, he wasn't, you know, um, he wasn't mincing words there about the people with whom he was associating. But he knew that the Pharisees had no need of repentance <laughs> because in the Pharisees minds they were perfect and so he, he he's there's no point um, in, in, I mean not that he not that he doesn't engage he does engage with them in good faith regularly <clears throat> but it's he knows that they're just not gonna by and large they're not gonna listen uh, Wayne yeah. Yeah, I was just, I was just how do you reconcile that with 1 Corinthians 5-11 yeah, well, let me look it up, because I, I have to refresh my memory. That's where someone's been cast out of the church, right? Well, no, it just says, it? Uh, but now I have written to you not to keep company with anyone, name the brother, as I guess you know, they would consider it. Yeah. Uh, company with anyone, name the brother, who is sexually immoral, or covetous, mm-hmm. or idolater, or well, or so on and so forth. Yeah, I mean, I think the key one there is... Um, who bears the name of brother, who's engaging in those sins. I think, it, you know, <clears throat> I, I think it's not, ex- it's not a one-to-one equation there, what Jesus is doing among the, the sinners, the tax collectors. Um, Levi's been called. Does that mean at this point that Levi is regenerate? Um, you know, I, I don't know. Um, but I don't know that it's a one-to-one equation. Um, I think this is speaking specifically of someone who, uh, who bears... Uh, who claims to be a Christian but is is um, engaging in these types of sins openly? I, because I think in that sense you would be giving um, uh, you'd be giving credence to their lifestyle, their choices. If you're associating with them unquestioningly, then I think there's a sense in which you could be accused and and, and legitimately so of endorsing their lifestyle but for you know considering what's going on in churches across this country yeah it's getting pretty wild yeah 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 so this is this is not specifically a case where someone has been excommunicated um but but he does say yeah he says later on in verse 12 for what have i to do with judging outsiders is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge god judges those outside uh, purge the evil person from among you. So there, there's a, you know, I think you could, you could see that as a, as a situation where excommunication is, is necessary, whether or not it's been, been, Paul is referring to that in a specific sense. Um, so, and that's the whole challenge, you know, you know, someone who's been excommunicated, we're, we're told well, you're not, you aren't supposed to fellowship with them as a, as a church in a, um, unless they're coming back to repent, unless they're wanting to be back with you in, in repentance. But someone who's been excommunicated, we are commanded not to associate with them as a, as a church. Um, yeah, Cassandra. That's yeah. the point of Yeah. Is to bring them Deprive them. Back yeah. Yeah. By them yes, that's right. And so it's not, as a, it's not so much to... Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, what they're doing yeah. by living holy 
Right. Yeah, that's a, that's a very good point. Yeah, the, the deprivation of fellowship is intended to draw them back, like to make them realize what they're missing. Um, uh, uh, because the desire of any church discipline, but especially uh, excommunication, is intended to restore the sinner. It's not intended, you know, so we're not just shunning for the sake of shunning. We're not just shunning for the sake of, of hurting another person. We're, we're, we're saying you're going to be deprived of fellowship with us because we want you back with us. We want you to repent, and that, that repentance will lead to restoration. Um, so I think that, you know, I guess I would say, and getting back to your question, Wayne, that it's a, it is different um, because these are not, the people that Jesus is associating with are not brothers in the sense of what Paul is talking about. Um, and, I, you know, I don't know how you, you know, and Paul does say there, I'm not talking about judging the world. Um, God's going to judge the world. We spend, I think as Christians, we spend too much time judging the world. And we do overlook a lot in our own camp. Um, uh, so, I don't know. Is that, I don't know if that gets at y'all's question or helps. No, at all. I'm just thinking well, yeah. somebody could do that to offset that. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. we make those distinctions. Yeah. But if you look at the church today mm-hmm. in other churches yeah. where you know, you've got the alphabet people and stuff yeah. and that sort of stuff that mm-hmm. you can say, you know, yeah. do we need to be, you know, how do we deal right. with that? Yeah, and excommunication, and, and that's like the word, that's like the nuclear option in church discipline, right? But excommunication is almost meaningless in a culture where, okay, you get booted from one church, well, you just go to another. And they, there's no sense of transfer of membership. There's no sense of, of um, you know, I mean, a lot of church, well, they won't even call the previous church and say, hey, what's, you know, what's up with this person or, or whatever. And so it's, there's, because of the, 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 the mobility that we have, um, you know, and there, there, there are pluses and there, there are positives and negatives to that. Um, but because of that, church discipline, it is, it's difficult to, uh, to make it effective because the person can just, even if they start to sense that, that discipline is coming their way, well, hey, peace out. I'll see you later. Um, so, it's, yeah, it is challenging um, to do that. Yeah, Josh, you were raising your hand earlier. I don't know if... Uh, well, I <clears throat> haven't seen this commercial, but I read about this Super Bowl commercial mm-hmm. that it was apparently some people, at least on social media, where everything Mm-hmm. And I guess it showed people washing each other's feet. Mm-hmm. And, it, and there were some people saying, well, this is a bad message for the church because it's encouraging, it's basically encouraging acceptance of things like the LGBTQ mm-hmm. lifestyle or abortion or some other things. Right. And then the pushback was, well, just because you're showing love to people doesn't mean you're accepting everything. So mm-hmm. I can't, I haven't seen it. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I saw it. Um, I, I think it, it seems it almost serves as a Rorschach test. Like it's interesting. The reaction is, <clears throat> it, you know, I've seen I've seen very positive reactions from people on social media that I respect and and trust, and I've seen really negative reactions to it from people on social media who I respect and trust. And I just I, it's a very interesting. And I'm sort of like I can kind of see both sides. You know, I. I um, uh, yeah, it's the he the he gets us um, campaign. They've done a lot of ads, uh, and I don't I don't I really don't know who the backers. I I mean I'm you know when when I saw it I was like, oh okay okay that makes okay that explains it because I'm like man that that there was a thirty second spot and I was thinking that must have cost I don't know what commercial 
commercials are running like 10 million or something for, but that make, that actually makes a lot of sense. Um, and so I don't, I mean, I, I yeah. It, yeah, 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 yeah. But it, it is, you're right, it's kind of a, it is, yeah. So, yeah. But it seems like the answer is when Jesus says, those who are sick in yeah. position, yeah. right? Like, well, are you there to treat the illness? Yeah. Or are you there to, are you, yeah. having, a, are you having a chicken pox party so you can right. have a chicken pox? Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Are you there to try to make it better or are you just there to enjoy it? Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so yeah, I think what you're saying is it gets down to motives, like intent. Um, and of course, Jesus is going to have nothing but pure motives. I mean, he's incapable of having impure motives. So, so but I think for, for us and how we how we apply this, and that's challenging. I mean, that's that's the challenging. How do you apply this? Like, how do you take this and go, okay, I'm going to apply it to my life? And y'all y'all are going to want me to say, well, this is how you apply it in every case. This is how you do it. This is how you do what Jesus did. And I'm going to tell you that I think. Context is important, and intent is important. What is your intent? Um, if you if you are if you are involved in those relationships for the purpose of of, of showing love to them in a in a Christ like way, not not love of their behavior, not love of their choices, not love of their sin, but if you are if you are in a relationship with these people because you you want to show the love of Christ to them, I think that that's a good motive. And so what is it? What is, what's your motive? What, you know, I think you have, to, you have to, if you're in a situation, you find yourself in a, you're invited to something and you're not quite, okay, what is my motive in going to this? That doesn't mean that you have to get up and start evangelizing. I don't think that's, I don't think that's what that means either, but I think you have to test your motives and, and, and discern it. And if, and if it's just, if it's because you're, you're going to go because you don't want to offend, um, you don't, you don't want to cause hurt. I mean, I think that's, that's a motive you've got to investigate. But if, if it's a motive, I, I want to show the, I want to show the love of Christ to this person. This person knows what I believe about this, but I love them. And, and Christ shows love. He goes to those, he goes to sinners. He goes, he seeks them out. And I think that's a valuable lesson for us to remember, that Christ Jesus seeks out sinners. He sought you and me out, just like he sought out Levi, and he sought out those sinners who were in that room, in that house with him at the feast. And I think that's uh, you know, something for us to bear in mind as we, we think about it. I saw Cassandra's hand, and then I see you, Liz. Yeah. <laughs> right, yeah. His Lucy Booth. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, and he says, "Come and follow me." We got just needs everything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he comes. Yeah. And when the rich young ruler, right, the very very good or Pharisaical yeah. young ruler, comes to Jesus, he's like, "No, I've kept all the commandments mm-hmm. all the time." And Jesus says, "Okay, go give all your stuff to the poor and come follow me." Mm-hmm. The rich young ruler goes away sad. Levi follows Jesus and gives up to right? Mm-hmm. Levi believes something really significant about Jesus. And he brings all of his lousy friends to hear it, <laughs> right? These are people who know they're sick. Levi knows he's sick. Mm-hmm. He leaves everything. He yeah. yeah. So that's why, you know, they know they need a physician. You're 
not going to make Jesus dirty. Yeah. He's only going to make yeah, you're exactly right. I mean, I know there, you know, one not a, not an objection to that, but a, a concern that might be raised is, well, we're not Jesus. We we are capable of being corrupted. That's true. That is true. And so you, you do have to be on guard. And I think that's why we have to be so careful about okay, in in examining our motives for what we do. And if it's if we're doing things that's a, that, that that is is actually a form of compromise on what we what our convictions are, what, what, what the Bible teaches us. If we're, if we're doing it as a, uh, which results in compromising our convictions, then I, I think that's, those are wrong motives. If we're doing it to, if we're doing it because we, you have to, in order to have strong words with someone that actually will mean something to that person, you have to have a strong relationship with them. Um, they're not going to listen to you if you have no relationship. And so if you have to rebuke them for something, they're not going to hear it if they think you're a jerk and you don't actually love them. But if they know you love them and you say, look, what you're doing is sin, then, then there's a chance at least, a greater chance, that they're willing to hear it. Um, Liz. So my grandmother and my Oh, see. I'm sorry, we're out of time. <laughs> this, you asked Jen, I was like, somebody's going to bring it up. Somebody's going to bring it up. And I was like, that was like three weeks ago. So, talking about the Alistair Begg question. Probably you're familiar oh. with. He, uh, yeah. Okay, I'll, I'll, a couple of thoughts. And I'm cutting us off at 10.15. So, um, uh, first of all, I, Al, I don't believe, I think this was a, was this a write-in question or? Uh, it was on radio. Yeah, radio, right? So this is not an issue. I have an, I, I, I love Alistair Begg. I don't know many of you do. I, but I have an issue with celebrity pastors and people who this Alistair Begg, Reverend Begg does not know this woman from Eve. And I think it's very dangerous to give blanket um, instruction or advice, like an an advice column in a newspaper. I think it's very dangerous to do that. Um, When you don't, you, I mean, even, even if she gave a great deal of information. So I don't, I, I think it's unwise. I think it's unwise. I think it's unwise for us. I think you have to be cautious about placing a lot of stock in a radio slash YouTube slash, you know, person who is not in spiritual authority over you because they have no vested interest in your life and they are not the ones who are going to call you on the carpet and, and, and you're not able to call them on the carpet um, either. Um, so I, I, in my opinion, I don't know all the details of that particular situation. I could envision a situation where I might counsel a member of our congregation who I know and, and understand the situation very well in intimate details and I have a chance to ask them and maybe talk to them about it for hours. I could envision a situation where I would counsel that person. I think it is wise for you, based on everything you've told me and your motives for doing it, to go to this thing. I could also envision a situation, <clears throat> and, 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 I, and I, okay, so all that's like, I'm not going to tell somebody who's not a member of our church, or I mean, I'm never going to be on the radio, or you know, it's not going <laughs> to, I'm not going to tell somebody who I don't have a relationship with, with any spiritual, like, in, in trying to ha- speak with spiritual authority in their life. I'm not going to tell them this is what you should do, because I have not, I've, I don't have any spiritual authority over that person, and I think that's a major thing. It's, I think it's the fault of the pastors who think they do have spiritual authority over people, over people they don't even know and they've never seen in person. So that sounds harsher than I mean it to be. Don't, don't take it that way. But 
I, you've got to know these people. And so I can envision a situation in our church where someone is asking me, should I go to this wedding of my, of my grandchild who is having a, you know, marrying a member of the same sex? And I would say, I really don't think you should based on all these things. Now, that may sound like situational ethics to you. I don't believe it is because I think you have to understand. I mean, context is huge. I think it's very important. And so that would be, that's, so it's a hypothetical and I can't really answer it like, you know, but I think you, be careful who you take spiritual counsel from and, and recognize that, you know, even an Alistair Begg, I, I have great respect for the man. Like, so I don't, I'm not, you know, but even an Alistair Begg, he doesn't know you. <laughs> and he, you know, there's a sense in which, and I don't mean this disrespectfully, that he doesn't care about you. And I say that only because he doesn't know you. <laughs> there's no way he can care about you because he doesn't know you. And so you've got, you've got men in this church who serve on the session, who are ruling elders and teaching elders, who do know you and love you. And, and you know, if you've got questions, of, of, you, know, you know, that's why we talk to us, because we, we actually do care about you. doesn't mean we're always going to get it right. Um, we, may, we may get it wrong. You know, that's, that's just the, that's the risk you take. But at least you, if, if we're wrong, then at least you know somebody who loves you has, has told you the wrong thing to do. Not, they're not doing it because out of indifference or whatever else. I, hopefully, that's a, yeah. Um, I was worried about a hornet's nest. Maybe, the, I don't know, maybe, we'll see. Um, I know this has been, you know, recorded and <laughs> everything else. So we'll see, the, the hornet's nest may come later, but I think it did for Alistair Begg too. But, um, yeah, I'll, I'll, yeah, I've got to close, but go ahead, Kathy. Um, Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the way that God defines marriage is between a man and a woman, a husband and a wife. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's close in prayer. Gracious God, we are thankful to you, dear Lord, for uh, your grace. We're thankful for uh, the love that you show uh, not only 2,000 years ago, uh, ago, but even today, the love you show to sinners. And the ways in which you go out of your way to to meet with sinners, to be with them, and to address their sin and their need for repentance and forgiveness. Lord, we pray uh, that you would teach us more about what this means. We pray that you would help us to have humility uh, in our own hearts toward others and love for others. We pray that you'd help us to be compassionate toward those who are suffering, whether that is because of physical infirmity or spiritual infirmity. We pray that you'd give us, O oh Lord, a desire to, to care for them and to give them good news of salvation through Christ Jesus. Lord, we pray for your blessings on us now as we uh, gather to worship. We are thankful, Lord, that you have called us to be a part of your people. And we pray for your spirit's help and his guidance as we worship you in a few moments. Please bless us, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.